Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Orange Fizz Radio. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May back with you. The band is back together. Jaron, we are back together for the first time in a few weeks now. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, but glad to be back, ready to talk some hoops, ready to talk some football. There's plenty to talk about, even though it's the offseason for Syracuse right now. Like you said, we have plenty to talk about. We'll start with some Bayheim's Army, some breaking news there. We've got Syracuse football, some opposing coaches taking shots at the program, and Dino will get the five-star review, fictional fizz, and fizz feedback. We've got it all, but let's start with that Bayheim's Army news. DeAndre Kane was announced as one of the new players added to the roster for the Syracuse-derived squad. He played three seasons for Marshall back in the early 2010s. He was a starter there every season he played. He transferred his senior year year to Iowa State. He was all Big 12, newcomer of the year, the Big 12 tournament MVP. He was a great player in the Big 12. He's had a lot of success overseas, joined Overseas Elite in 2016. He's a three-time champion there. 6'5", 200 pounds. I think he's going to slot in very well for Bayheim's Army. Yeah, this is a this is one of those things where if you're a true Syracuse fan, you might feel a little upset because you know, Bayheim's Army is named Bayheim's Army for a reason, and it's supposed to be Syracuse alumni, and that's still the majority of the team. You look down, up and down the roster, Devendorf, Leiden, Richardson, McCullough, Fair, uh, Chukwu, White, like they are majority Syracuse guys. However, they've brought in some non-Syracuse names, and now DeAndre um, is one of those guys. So, I, I like what I see from Kane. It's still early. It's still fresh. It's it's something that you want to be able to flush out. And for, through the first couple games, I think uh, Beheim's army will be fine. And that's when you kind of will be able to see what he has and what he'll be able to offer this team. Uh, the one thing that stands out to me just from watching some pre some really early tape on him and then reading a little up uh, about who DeAndre Kane is, um, <clears throat> and this actually came from... Kevin Belby, who's the general manager of Bayheim's Army, and he said, a challenge for us is we've had talent, but we needed to get tougher. DeAndre is one of the toughest players in TBT history, and he can play all five positions. He always takes on the challenge of guarding the other team's best player. And that's something that Bayheim's Army does need because last season, last TBT, last summer, Bayheim's Army was one of those teams where they would just run and gun and try to outshoot you. They would try to outscore you and be that offensive team. However, they didn't have too much defense, and not a lot of guys really wanted to put effort in on the defensive side. So if Kane, it, it, it doesn't matter if he scores two points a game as long as he can help defensively. Yeah, and I think the conversation was there last year about the non-Syracuse guys playing for Bayheim's Army. Of course, you had the Colgate alumni whose name I'm currently forgetting. Will Raymond. Um, yeah, there it is. Raymond. And then, I, But I think this year it's going to be a lot more at the forefront. I think that conversation is going to follow us throughout the tournament as long as Syracuse is in it. Um, because, in, in my opinion, I really don't think it matters all that much that non-Syracuse alumni play for the team as long as the team is majority Syracuse, like you mentioned, that it is. Um, sure, like, uh, you know, fans 
Syracuse fans aren't going to have as much fun watching guys like DeAndre Kane or Tyrese Rice or Kiefer Sykes score. Um, but I think that they'll be happy in the long run that they're winning because I think that those guys are going to help this team win. And this team, I mean, it's an under underwhelming team. In the history of uh, the tournament, they really haven't played all that well at all. And if this is what Kevin Belby thinks needs to happen for success to be there, I think why not go for it? Yeah. No, I, and, and something that's also pretty interesting with Kane is he and the entire team, they're all pretty much the same size. So he's listed right now at 6'5", 200 pounds. So a, a pretty decent, you know, guard slash forward combo. But then when you look at the rest of the roster, there's a lot of those like small forward type of players. So it's going to be interesting to see how they all mesh together. Malachi Richardson's pretty much the same size. CJ Fair, Chris McCullough. Uh, Andrew White's a little taller, but he's he's still that same type of player, you could say. So there's a lot of the same type of you know, guys, and and that's going to be a little interesting to see how they fare. Uh, other thing that I have on Kane is he's 32. He's, I mean, he's up there. He's not a, a young guy. So you could say, good, that's experience. That's what we need. Experience might help out this younger roster. And, and you look at Beheim's Army, there's some younger guys, some older guys. Eric Devendorf uh, is on the older side. However, he still plays like he's, you know, 21. Um, but Kane is going to add some experience to that roster, and I think that's a good thing, personally. So he's he's older, he adds experience. My big worry with this team is now, do they have all the pieces to put together a championship run and to put together a run where they're not all stepping on each other's toes? And we know they'll be adding one more piece next week. We don't know who it is going to be. But I've got some suggestions. I think you do too, so I want to hear those. Um, I, I think a great uh, addition to this team in that one spot could be Justin Burrell, another guy who played for Overseas Elite when DeAndre Kane did. He's 6'10", 245, could add to this team in the big man department because this team, you know, you've got Tyler Lydon, you've got Chris McCullough, but as for a bona fide center, Pascal Chukwu is really your only option. I don't know if Syracuse fans are going to be all that content with that. I think adding Barella, a guy who played at St. John's from 2007 to 2011, a guy that Syracuse fans probably know from those Big East battles. He was a Big East all-freshman senior season. He was the Big East sixth man of the year. He now plays in Japan. He was an MVP in his first season there, and he's had a lot of success in the TBT, of course, playing for overseas lead, a couple of championships under his belt. I think he would be a huge add for Bayheim's Army. Wow, Matt. Uh, it's almost like you read my notes before we did this. Yeah, really? I also had Burrell wow. on my list. Yeah, because I, I think we thought the same way. I I don't think they're adding any more Syracuse guys. Can you, like, do you agree no, with that? No, I don't think so. Absolutely not. Right. So, and if they do, then then great. You know, awesome. It's Bayheim's Army. It should be Syracuse guys. But uh, right now, it seems like they're not going to. And a couple reports have come out, especially some quotes from Kevin Belby saying that, Right now, they're trying to figure out some overseas contractual issues with this next person that they're bringing in. And right now, there's not too many overseas Syracuse guys that could really fill the needs that Bayheim's Army has. Maybe uh, Tyus Battle? I don't really think so. So I'm also going big guy. I think they need some help down low. Justin Burrell was, was the big name that 
pop to the top of my sheet and especially because overseas elite is not in the tournament this year so all of those players if they want to come back and a lot of them are playing overseas they don't need to come back but this is a a fun couple week tournament that a lot of players do like to play in the summer uh I think Burrell would fit perfectly. If you want my second guy, I'll go to a guard and, and not as a big guy. He's 6'2", 175. It's Franklin Session. Um, he also was on that overseas elite team that played, and, and he was with Kerr and, uh, or Kane rather, um, and Burrell. And he also has quite a few, you know, stops in his career. He's been uh, in Europe. He's been in Asia. He's been pretty much everywhere you can be and he's played and, and racked up the accolades talking about winning championships winning individual player of the years winning first team honors all that type of stuff playing in Canada too uh, he's a really talented shifty guard and can be a distributor for to try to set up those wing players because we know Beheim's army has plenty of wings yeah, I was getting a little bit nervous when you said a guard because I thought <laughs> we'd, we'd be the same again. But I've got DJ Kennedy as my second option. He was a teammate with Burrell from 2007 to 2011 at St. John's. He was a four-year starter for the Red Storm. He helped lead the team to tournament berth in 2011. He was undrafted, signed by the Cavs or after the, the draft in 2011. He bounced around the NBA before going to overseas in 2013. A four-time TBT champ, two-time tournament MVP. He did not play last year, but did play every year before that since the, the league, or since Overseas League played their inaugural season back in 2015. He's 6'6", can play the shooting guard spot, can also be a small forward. Here's the thing about the TBT. It's a guard-heavy game here in this tournament because, as we've kind of learned over the years of Syracuse playing here, or Bayheim's Army, excuse me, it's a guard-heavy tournament. The amount of times I've I've caught myself doing that just in the first <laughs> couple minutes of this show, Matt. All right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a guards win this tournament. You win this tournament by yeah. having solid guards, but at the same time, I think we both agree that Burrell would add a lot because this team is kind of lacking in the big man department. It kind of matters about... I think Chris McCullough is really going to be instrumental for this team. He tried to play last year, couldn't quite get it done. That's why they had to be, uh, bring in Will Raymond, but an athletic big i think you know mccullough still thinks he can get nba minutes um and this could be a huge showcase for him if he comes out and he plays well um so an athletic big who's still talented i think if he comes out and, and does his job um they're not going to have this issue but if pascal chuku is the only guy they can rely on there's going to be a problem yeah chuku doesn't really you know push the he's a fan favorite me. but he's not that great I don't even know if he's a fan favorite. I oh, think you would say, like, Eric Dolajai is a fan favorite. If Dolajai showed up on this roster, every single person in the 315 and the next 100 miles out in a circle would be watching and cheering on for Bayheim's Army and, and specifically for Marek Dolajai. I don't think Pascal Chukwu is, you know. Well, you a, can't a compare him to Marek. Favorite. Of course, Marek is the, the fan favorite of fan favorites. But, I mean, if you don't love Pascal... I'm, well, I'm just looking at this roster right now. I, I'm looking at this roster right now, and as just a fan, taking myself out of the media, and just as a fan, I could name four, five other guys that I actually like more than Pascal Chukwu. Well, you, I think you got a vendetta against Pascal. I actually don't. I actually just think that he's not that great of a player. <laughs> Listen, nobody <laughs> said he was Hakeem Olajuwon. He's just, you know, <laughs> he's a fun guy. I, I don't... <laughs> I, I honestly, I I am 
at a loss for words to try wow. to come back All at right. that because I don't know if he's a fun guy. He might be. I don't want to, you know, tear this guy down. I have not had those type of experiences. And I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's more fun to watch, you know, Devo and, and Richardson and Leiden and Fair and McCullough. I think those guys are a little more fun and I would describe more as fan favorites, especially with Malachi's, you know, uh, three goggles and everything like that. But that's just my opinion. I, I, I like what you're saying, though, to, to get back on topic. Uh, the only thing that, you know, I think both of us have agreed on, they, they need a big more than they need a guard. However, adding a guard won't hurt. But to that point, all of our options that we have listed out, and, you know, we're just playing hypothetical. We're just speculating right here. We, we really don't have any insight as to who it actually will be. But we're both going to overseas elite past rosters so i think the you know consensus between at least you and i is you know Bayheim's army is going to be the next overseas elite oh wow that's a that's a huge claim you I know mean, those are four-time champions right there jaren is that yes, what your claim is i know i know Bayheim's army wild. coming up this All summer right. We're going to have to take a short break. On the other side, we'll talk SU football. Opposing coaches are taking shots at Dino and the program. Here are thoughts in a few. This is Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Back on Fizz Radio with Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May. Jaron, there have been some mean words that have been thrown around about Syracuse football <laughs> recently in the athletic, the Athlon. And to be quite frank, it's kind of warranted, sadly. This program has been terrible the last two years, especially this past season. A 1 in 10 season is not what you want if you're Dino Babers or the Syracuse football fandom. Um, I'm just going to start off the block by reading a quote from an ACC assistant coach in which he sizes up the orange. Quote, I think the thought across the league was, in 2018, maybe finally they were going to break through and become a middle-of-the-road ACC school. But the last two seasons have really shown their offensive system is flawed. They don't have the personnel up front to protect their QBs, and they haven't had anything in the pocket that really threatens you. They're predictable since they don't utilize tight ends and don't have a ton of creativity in their offense. It's stale. I give them credit for some of the athletes they've developed on the defensive end, but they don't stop big plays, and it has bitten them hard. We look at them as a free win week and a chance to try stuff out, regroup, get younger guys involved in the second half. That's abysmal. Like, that is horrible. <laughs> and the the worst part is, I see no lies. Like, sure, they're terrible. I don't even think we've, like, touched the surface of what's the worst part of all of that. The worst part is that all of that is true, you're right, Matt, and nothing has changed. You've had the same head coach for the past couple years that that has done nothing. He struck gold once because he had a ridiculous quarterback that would win at all costs. And then you're now continuing to run back the same scheme for year after year after year. And they're right. You don't have the athletes. You don't have the recruits. You don't have the correct scheme to be successful in the ACC. And the ACC isn't even that great of a conference. It's, it's tough. And the fact that schools can just like on the scouting report the week before not even take you seriously and basically take you as a bye week and as an automatic win and you're doing nothing if you're John Wildhack and company wow I I mean 
I don't I don't understand it. I really don't. And what's worse, in my opinion, is that I think other ACC coaches and assistant coaches are looking at Syracuse as if Syracuse is just like a peewee football team um, that they feel really bad for. Here's another quote that that it's just it's just sad. It's just really hard to win there. I know Dino knows that. It starts with recruiting, bringing in better guys for their system, and getting some bigger dudes up front. Yeah, like, obviously. Obviously, bringing in better guys for the system is going to win. Like, they're giving Dino some advice here that he shouldn't need to be getting. Like, this is awful. A terrible sign for Syracuse football when the rest of the league is looking at you like you're just the sad little boy. Well, I will say, I don't think that advice was really needed to be said. And I I don't think that as much as, you know, we will crap on Dino, to say it politely, um, I I do think he understands that. I I think he does understand that, hey, I need to change some things, and recruiting is really where the majority of that stuff does happen. And I think he's trying. I just don't think he's successful. I just don't think he's that great of a recruiter. Where I think that he does need some advice and does need some help and needs to, you know, open his eyes a little bit, that's with both his offensive and defensive scheme. He made a change to the defense by bringing in a couple different coordinators and different positional coaches last season, and it's still rough, and and rightfully so. There was also plenty of injuries that plagued that defense last season. I mean, but the defense isn't really the issue. It's the offense right now. And he's not changing his offensive scheme. It's still that go, go, go. Let's run it down your throats and let's throw it as quickly as possible. But that doesn't work anymore. And he's not changing it. So his recruiting, I think he's trying. I just don't think he's great. It's the schematic and the actual coaching that he needs to change and needs that advice from these anonymous ACC coaches. Yeah, um, but at some point it's got to end, right? Like, at what point does Syracuse put his foot down and say, this is not going to cut it, you're done? Gosh, I hope soon. I, I think, I, I mean, he, I I don't think know. he needs a six-win year. You need a bowl appearance this season to save it, right? Right? Well, having a five-win year would be, quote-unquote, a success for Syracuse. I, and I don't we, know. You know, man. we've written a bunch of articles out on orangefizz.net if you want to go check them out, and we've talked about it um, on Orange Fizz Cast, Orange Fizz Radio, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you can find all of those on our SoundCloud page as well. We've talked about how there are plenty of sports betting sites setting Syracuse's win totals this year. And, and the total is like two and a half, three and a half. ACC win totals is 0.5. It's 1.5. They're all guessing that Syracuse is going to have, you know, three wins tops. And they might be right. They, they, it, it's, it's horrible to say they might be right. This team might only win three to four games. So if Dino gets them to five... What I'm really afraid of as a Syracuse fan is just someone who wants to see this team and this program succeed. I'm afraid that John Wildhack is going to take five wins as a success and say, no, we don't, we don't need to change anything. We're good. We got five wins. And that, if that happens, that's going to be the biggest crime. Yeah, that would certainly be a crime. And the sad part is, like, if that happened, I don't think I'd be surprised. Like, I think I'd be like, yeah, sure. Like, I could, I totally could have seen this coming. Um, whether or not that it's the right thing to do. Of course, at this point, the right thing to do 
if Dino Babers can't produce a winning program, is to get rid of him. And that is so sad, by the way. Can we acknowledge how sad that is? And the quote kind of said it, too, in that after 2018, which was our freshman year, um, it looked so bright. Everything looked so exciting. You know, there was so much promise. You had a new quarterback coming in that Dino was hyping up. You had so much talent on the roster. Trill Williams, Andre Sisco, all these guys. And then they were terrible. Just so disappointing. What happened? Like, how could this uh, have happened? This recruiting? Like, what, putting his... I think it's recruiting. I really do. I, I think everything comes back to recruiting. Like, last year, you look, what what was their biggest flaw? Well, number one, they had a lot of injuries. You're going to have to deal with that from time to time. But number two, the biggest issue was the offensive line. How do you fix the offensive line? Well, you get in good recruits. Do you have good recruits? Besides Matthew Bergeron, the answer is no. It's really like you don't have anyone in the pipeline for the offensive line for the years to come. Now, you're bringing in quite a few in this incoming class of 2021. Uh, but re- but last season, in this year, you don't have any new guys. Now, you do have returners, and this year the offensive line should be better, especially with the transfer of, uh, of uh, what's his name, Chris uh, the, the Florida guy. Blyche. That's it. Thank you. Uh, Blanche. Blyche, not Blanche. So, Blyche, yes. Whatever. All right, whatever. You, you got it. plenty of offensive line help. Or rather, this year you have plenty of uh, experience there. But in the years to come, you don't. And you look, do you have any up-and-coming wide receivers? No. Do you have a quarterback? Yeah, you got one. Justin Lansom. I think he's going to be your guy. Defensively, do you have you know some good young stars? You have a couple, but you don't have enough. So, I, yes, to answer your question, long-winded and, and forgetting who Chris Bleich is, uh, you're, it all comes back to recruiting. Yeah, and you mentioned the offense. And I don't think recruiting. Dino's a good recruiter. No, he's, he's not. not. He puts far he's too much. He's not a good recruiter. He so puts... if you want to fix all this, it starts with recruiting. And if you want to fix the recruiting, then get rid of Dino. Wow. All right, far... <laughs> sorry. I, I'm getting a little hyped up. He puts far too much <clears throat> faith into to random three stars. That, and sometimes they hit. But a lot of the times, they don't. And going back to the offensive line for a second, and I've ranted to you about this before, Jaron, about Ryan Alexander's situation in which he walks out of the, the, the locker room because he's oh just fed goodness. up with the team. I think it all started right there. That is where I truly think that this program's demise began. Because Dino's this guy that builds himself up as the kind of guy players rally around. Ohana. He's Ohana. There's a family. Everybody wants to play for Dino, run through a brick wall mentality. That's the whole thing. But then to have a guy like Ryan Alexander, if you don't know the story about Ryan Alexander, he just didn't want to play anymore. He didn't tell anybody, and he just quit the team. To have a guy walk out on the team like that, that does not reflect well on the coach um, who prides himself on the exact opposite of that situation. Especially because so, especially he didn't even tell the coach. Exactly. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't tell, tell anybody. Dino. He told nobody, and he just said, I'm done. So to have Syracuse or to have Dino um, be in a position in which one of his guys is just walking out, especially in a unit that is struggling already. Those guys were not playing well. You had back then you had Aaron Service playing center because Sam Heckel was injured. Carlos Vettarello was on the edge. You had the whole thing, which they eventually figured out in the last game of the year was the problem. Um, but Syracuse is in a position with their coach in which 
you're just not getting a whole lot. You've given him two years now in which he's gone five and seven and one and ten. How much does that year in 2018 buy him? How many years does that buy you a bull win a bull winning season? How many years does ten wins buy you? Too many, as as we've seen. Now, Matt, before we hit a break here, I do want to say. You know, talking about coaching and talking about, you know, removing a coach or adding a coach, it's all very difficult because these are, you know, these are these are jobs. These are not just things that you can come and go and, and move on in life. Like it's it's a it's a someone's livelihood, it's someone's family, that's it's someone's job, it's someone's living. Um, so it is, you know, not that we ever want to ruin a, a person's life and ruin a person's job. It's it's more just looking at the program and what kind of improvements does the program need. Now, if Dino can improve and change this program around, then awesome. You, you know, you have Dino. But if he doesn't come up to snuff, that's when you just have to have those hard conversations. And that's why these conversations sometimes are difficult uh, but are important to at least have. I agree 100%. All right. We got to hit a break. When we come back, we'll be talking five-star review. Justin Taylor's decision, Dior Johnson to Oregon, and Quadir Copeland's recent visit to Syracuse. You're listening to Orange Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Stay tuned. five star review five star ride i'd like to share with you one of our five star reviews hey five stars five star review time here on orange fizz radio matt bonaparte and jaron may back with you jaron we're going to start off some five star review with justin taylor syracuse made its way into taylor's top five teams but i don't know if he's going to come to syracuse what is your opinion there well, so here's the thing. If, if you're new to Justin Taylor, let me give you a quick rundown. He's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, depending on the website you check. He's 200 pounds. Uh, a couple reports are saying that he's adding on some more weight to, to try to get ready for the college game, which makes sense. He's a small forward type of forward guard, but he can still shoot from the outside. He's a classic Syracuse wing. It, it, that's how you describe him. He is a classic Syracuse wing. Uh, ranking Rankings-wise, He's top 100 right now for 24-7 sports. He's 56th nationally. He's the second best player in the state of Virginia. And that's where I stop in my tracks. Because when you look at his top five, it's Indiana, North Carolina, Syracuse, and here you go, Virginia and Virginia Tech. So some guys, you know, some guys like to stay home. Some guys like to be in the state, be close to home, and he is from Virginia but some guys like to leave, and, and you don't really, there's there's not been any reports out there that have said he wants to stay just because he's specifically from Virginia or vice versa. However, the home team usually has the leg up, and especially when you're talking about Syracuse in this ranking is probably the least prestigious when you, ta- when you take out Virgi- the Virginia school. So uh, let me break this down a little more. You got Virginia and Virginia Tech. They're in their own little area because they're the home state schools. Then you got Syracuse, North Carolina, Indiana. Out of those three, 
you'd have to say Syracuse is the least prestigious. Indiana is Indiana, the Hoosiers, the everything. UNC, and although they are going through some turnover right now with Roy Williams retiring and a, a couple new pieces being added in, and that might be a little difficult for recruits to figure out, but UNC is still UNC. Syracuse is Syracuse, but it's just not those other two schools. So when I try to rank this, I actually think Syracuse, despite all the great reviews and everything you heard after his official visit to the 315, I think I would put Syracuse more at like three or four on that top five and, and not in the number one spot. All right. I, I can see where you're coming from there. Justin Taylor, by the way, would be a huge get for the Orange. I think he's a really talented player, a four-star recruit. I think he'd come in and be an immediate impact kind of guy for the Orange and somebody who could really put this program on the right trajectory going forward. As for where he is in that top five, I think he's middle of the pack, but I don't know if he's necessarily near the bottom. Um, Adrian Autry was the scouting man on him. I think that it's entirely plausible that he's near the top, actually. Um, I think that he really did like Syracuse. I think he was sincere in saying all that stuff. I know that everybody says all that kind of thing, but I think Taylor meant it. Um, You know, I think Syracuse has a decent shot at him, but of course, with all of this, it's very up in the air, and we won't really know until we know. All right, we got to move on to the next topic here on Five Star Review. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May with you. Dior, Dior Johnson, of course, the big news over there is that he's on his way to the West Coast, and he's going to play for Oregon after the 2022 graduating class. Jaron, that's heart-wrenching, but we all knew it. Yeah, I mean, we knew that he wasn't going to come back to Syracuse. Now, he's he kept SU on his list. You, you knew the Orange were technically in it, but they really weren't. It was over since he... I, I think it was over before he even committed to Syracuse. I think that was all a publicity stunt. Uh, <laughs> it, I, I mean, I'm not a huge Dior Johnson guy. I was just talking about how I feel bad talking about uh, Dino Babers and, and his job. I don't feel bad talking about Dior Johnson, even though he's what like a 17 year old kid I, I i know that sounds bad but like he has just treated syracuse and its fans and, and which is weird because syracuse fans are so loyal to anyone that will accept them and, and allow them in their lives dior johnson is just spit in the face of every single syracuse fan from committing to saying this is the place i want to beat the blue bloods i don't want to be a part of them number one that's just a backhanded compliment right there uh, but then Yep. You're committed, you're uncommitted, you say, hey, it's not that big of a deal, I'm going to keep Syracuse in it, you guys still have a good chance, and then you wait a couple months and you're like, nah, Syracuse, peace, I'm going to go out to Oregon. So, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not a big Dior Johnson guy, just to put that out there. Um, now, when this news broke, a couple of our Fizz fans commented on the post, and I think a couple of them are right. I don't really think that Tior Johnson is going to play a game for Oregon. I think he might do the same thing to the Ducks as he did to the Orange. And it, 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 you know, you might not agree with that. You might actually agree with it. But I think he's more of a G League player than a college player. And I think the G League fits him a little more because he doesn't have to deal with all the issues that playing in college does now with you know more name, image, and likeness coming out, and that might help him stay in college. But I don't know. I I just can't trust this guy's word, so I don't know if he'll actually stay in Oregon. So here's what I've read, and I think you're entirely correct in saying that 
there's a good chance he spurns the Ducks as well and goes to the G League or elsewhere. What I've read and seen on Twitter from some pretty uh, notable sources, such as Joe Tipton, who who is a great follow on Twitter if you want to know any recruiting news, at Tipton Edits, he's always got some recruiting inside information. He reported that Dior Johnson had an estimated $1.2 million offer to play in the NBL, which is where LaMelo Ball played down under in Australia and New Zealand. They've got teams down there, founded back in 1979, all that, you know. Um, but he got a huge offer from them to play basketball for millions of dollars. I don't see why you would turn that down to go play in, in college. I, I just don't see why you would do that. I mean, LaMelo Ball has proven now that you can go ahead and take that route and get to the NBA and be a high draft pick. So I don't see why Dior Johnson would still play for Oregon. It really doesn't make all that much sense to me. I don't know if you have an opinion on his NBL offer, Jaron. But, yeah, yeah I, I think you're right in saying that he's probably not going to play for Oregon. Yeah, I, I mean, it just... It, it's that's a great offer to make a million dollars before you even touch the scouting uh and the recruiting process of the nba yeah of course like go do that the g league is also offering those type of contracts as well it might not be as lucrative but you're still making hundreds of thousands of dollars at the age of 19 however old you are uh so yeah he has plenty of options i i'm thinking through some more with dior uh i think that it's if he is going to go to college, however, I think Oregon kind of fits him a little more because not because of how they play. I, I don't think any team any team he went to, he would have fit because he's just a straight-up baller. But he's the type of guy that really is, you know, self-centered, I guess, but really cares about his image and his brand and everything like that. And Oregon allows you to do that really well because they're the nike school and they are the hype train they whenever you think nike or whenever you think oregon you think about those flashy uniforms and those awesome nike deals and that can help you set you up in the future once you get to the nba because you already have the in with nike i think this is a good business move for him rather than a good playing move uh, so if he does stay in college, which who knows, because he spurned Syracuse, he spurned uh, even in high school, he's bounced around at a different, co a couple different schools. So you can't trust his word. But if he does stay in college, Oregon does make sense for him. Yeah, and he's surely doing a good job uh, of building hype around him and getting, and and getting programs and different leagues around the world to want him. So in that way, he is doing a good job. All right, we got to move on to our last topic here on Five Star Review. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May still with you. Our last player that we're going to be talking about is Quadir Copeland. He just finished up his uh, his visit to Syracuse. He actually finished it literally today. Um, he is a combo guard, a guy that Syracuse would really like in the 2022 class. Jaron, what do you got on him? Yeah, he's the prototypical Syracuse guard, and we've talked about him a little before on these Fizz radios that you can find on our SoundCloud by searching Orange Fizz. Uh, he's a combo guard that has extreme length, 6'6", 175. So he's not, you know, the biggest, the strongest guys, but he has that range, and he has that those long arms, which are great to play at the top of the 2-3 zone. So he makes a lot of sense for this Syracuse system, now, you look at his ranking, and he's only a three-star, and that might a, a couple fans might just solely base their opinions off of recruits on their star ranking. Try not to do that here. Try to actually look a little deeper and think about where he fits into this specific system, and if you can do that, you can see 
that Kadir uh, Copeland is a great get for Syracuse if he decide decides to actually go to SU. Yeah, and if you look on 24-7 and you look at his profile, Syracuse is not near the top of teams that are, are scouting him. But I think after a visit in which he claims he had a great time, he quoted as, as, as recapped it as an amazing Syracuse official visit, um, I think that that'll probably change, and Syracuse will probably skyrocket up that ladder. There are some pretty big-name schools after him, some not-so-big-name schools that are still in the hunt for him somehow. Maryland is the biggest one that has a pretty good chance. There's also, you know, LaSalle in there, which is one of those teams that the name doesn't really scare you too much. But Syracuse has a good shot at getting another three-star. He reminds me a little bit of Frank Howard in that yeah. I think he'll play great at the top of the zone. He's long. He's not that – he's six six, of course, but he's – like you mentioned, he's only 175, so he's not that big. Um, but he can move. He's got long arms. He can play the zone very well. I, I hate to say it, but it also is a little bit like the former Syracuse guard, Kadari Richmond. Um, and I think that he could play that way and, and could play pretty well for Syracuse. Yeah, and, and last thing before we <clears> hit a break here, Matt, I'll, I'll be quick with it. Uh, Syracuse was its first official visit, which I think is is massive. To be able to be the first one to set like the stage, and the, the same thing with Kyle Filipowski, if you can set that line and say, this is our school, we're first, this is everything we can offer you, I think that helps these recruits. I think you're absolutely right. All right. We got to take a break. We'll be wrapping up shop when we come back. Fictional Fizz and Fizz Feedback are waiting for you after the break. You're listening to Orange Fizz Radio on the score 1260. It's the final countdown here on Orange Fizz Radio. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May with you for some fictional fizz and some good old fizz feedback. Jaron, let's hop right into it. We'll start with the fictional fizz. Syracuse football was a topic of today's show. We talked about how they stink and are not good, and generally the Dino <laughs> Babers might be on his last legs here. And Syracuse, that being said, how many wins do you think Syracuse will have next season over under two and a half? Ah, uh, the age-old question. <sighs> it's a good one, Matt. It's a good one. I think they have over because you got to think there's some automatic win. Oh, okay. Uh, Who, are I, they I hate... Who are they beating? You have to put Albany down as a win, right? Sure. You have sure. to. Sure. That's you the have only to. one I say that they 100%, not 100%, but are very likely going to win. That's the only one I've got down. I think Ohio is also Ohio's a very a solid likely team. Go listen to my interview I think with Ohio Russell is also very likely. He lays it out That's, for you. I think Ohio is very likely, and I think Rutgers is very likely. So Ooh, I, I don't think know about that. Scarlet Knights right there, him. you got three, and you'll probably pull out some random ACC win. Uh, Wake Forest doesn't look good this year. They, they've they lost a lot. Um, Louisville is not great. Uh, NC State is also still in their rebuild. So... Uh, I would say they get three, maybe four wins, three probably. Uh, so, and that's just above your two and a half. So I'll take the over. 
All I'm going to say is last summer, I said that uh, you don't have I'm, to bring. It I'm up. bringing it up. I'm bringing it up. Last summer, don't Darren and I we had the same discussion about how many wins would they have. I said at most two. You said six, and I got laughed at. So all I'm going to say is let's remember that instance. I think that I'm going to take the under on this line. I think they win at most two. Once again, they're going to win the Albany game probably, but I think they are probably going to lose to Ohio, and they are most well, okay. likely going to well, lose to Rutgers. They're probably not, Matt, not probably going to lose to Ohio, but there's a decent chance. Matt, they could win 11 games and lose to UAlbany, and I would be calling for uh, Dino Babers' head. Uh, right. If they lose to UAlbany, that. that is that is going to be the lowest of lows. Okay. But Okay, go ahead. we got to move on. How many points in the TBT for Bayheim's Army will Eric Dievendorf average? I've got the line set at 9.5. Oh, I'll take the over. Okay. Uh, it's very difficult because the TBT doesn't have any statistical uh, background. Like they, they don't have archives of their stats. But I remember watching last summer because it was the only live sports that was that was going on. Uh, Devo is turning in 15, 20-point games. So I'll, I'll take the over. I think he's more like a 14-and-a-half to maybe even somewhere like 16 to 17 points per game. Devo's their main scorer, uh, and I think he still has it in the tank for, for him. So uh, give me the over. All right, the reason I'm going to take the under, and we got to do it quick because we got to get out soon, but the reason I'll take the under is Tyrese Rice, DeAndre Kane, Kiefer Sykes all being added to the squad. A lot of good guards that are going to be playing for Syracuse. A lot of guys that can score. I yeah, think that Devo is going to be a little bit less part of the offense. Kane only averaged nine points three years ago. Yeah, well, nine Tyrese Rice averaged before, 21 at po- Boston College, so, you know, you got to have that there. Well, he's also 32 now. Oh, Debo's not. 34. <laughs> okay. But I'm just we saying move you can't on really take into here. account his college stats. we got to move on to Keep feedback. Going. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. First one, how far will Bayheim's Army make it in the basketball tournament this summer? We had rounds one through two, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four Championship. Jaron, what do you think? Uh, I said Sweet 16, Elite 8. I think this team is better than it has been in the past, and especially with Overseas Elite and some of the other teams not in there. Uh, I think a lot of people will say this is their year, but I still don't think they have enough to get to the Final Four. So give me Elite 8 is where I think they end. I 100% agree with you. The audience does not. Fizzers said 48% said it'll be the Final Four of the championship. So, I mean, at least they're optimistic. Matt, I, I mean, that's all of Syracuse fans. Every time we do a, a any type of poll like this, whether it's basketball, football, lacrosse, anything, they're always taking the positive side of things because they're sometimes blinded by their own fandom. Jaron coming at his fans. All right, number two, who will be the MVP of Bayheim's Army? C.J. Fair, Eric Devendorf, Malachi Richardson, or other? It's Devo. He is their go-to scorer. He, at least he has it been in the past. Um, I don't think he's really lost a beat. Give me Devo. I think my fandom of C.J. Fair might be blinding me here, but I don't see how it couldn't be <laughs> C.J. He's just the most talented player on the floor. Uh, I think he's he's probably going to take it home. I just think he's that good. Um, I will say Malachi Richardson is a sleeper pick because he could. I, I think he's the most talented person on the floor. Uh, you know, it's it's been a couple years since he's been playing uh, at, at SU, but he's really talented. He just stunk last year, and that might be why he didn't get as many votes. All right, our last one, and this is right up your alley, Jaron. Do you think Syracuse women's lacrosse will win a championship within three seasons with Kayla Trainer at the helm? 
It's going to be difficult. They have, they're losing a lot, especially defensively without Asa Goldstock. Uh, but if anyone's going to do it, it's Kayla Trainer. I said yes, just to be optimistic because she is, uh, she's a ridiculous lacrosse mind. I think yes as well. They just made for the championship this past season. Obviously they're going to lose some talent, but I think Kayla will bring them back and bring them to glory. Benny Fairchild says an interesting question would be which team wins the championship next, the men or the women? What do you think about that? I think we've done that in the past on these Fizz feedbacks. Yeah, but we haven't done uh, it since Kayla's been the coach. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I, I would say the women. I would say the women, even though Gary Gate is even better of a coach than Kayla Trainer is right now. I think I'd also say the women just because the men aren't really in a spot that is... Uh... Actually, I'm taking that back. I'm going okay. men He's in 2023. 2023, wow. they You've are got a winning. prediction from Jaron May here. Yep. Joey Spolina, Gary Gates, wow. uh, Owen Hiltz. Yeah, right, give well, me 2023 or 2024. We'll end it right there. That does it for Orange Fizz Radio this week. For Jaron May, I'm Matt Bonaparte. If you want more coverage, follow us on Twitter at Orange Fizz or go to our website, orangefizz.net. We'll see you next time.